Hello and welcome to our Trail Magic Podcast, where we seek to equip college students with resources, biblical teaching, and helpful conversations for the journey ahead. This summer, the focus of our College Connection teaching will be on the subject of prayer. The Gospels tell us this was the request of the disciples to Jesus and one of the central tasks of Jesus' earthly ministry. Join us all summer long for encouraging messages to help you grow in your prayer life as a believer. Let's hit the trail. Um, Okay, so some of you know who I am. Some of you don't. Uh, My name is Brent. Um, I just want to introduce myself a little bit before I talk because I know that I haven't been here that much. I started as a volunteer uh, leader here in January, and then in February, SP sent me to Iraq for a while. Came back in March and was expecting to kind of get integrated back into what we were doing, and then the coronavirus hit. So we haven't convened until this summer. So a few of you have gotten to know me, a few of you know me from the few weeks I was here, um, but a lot of you don't. Um, so I'm not that old, as many of you can tell. Uh, I'm just a few years older than most of you. Um, I've been working for SP for about three years, on and off. Um, I've been here in Boone. I've also been out in the field in various parts of the world. Um, and I'm really excited to be a part of this group uh, for a few reasons, but most importantly, because I think um, God has taught me a lot of things in the past few years that I think have equipped me to be um, here with you guys. I remember graduating college a few years ago, and I thought I was solid. I thought I was um, able to follow God um, as I as I saw him um, leading me to SP. And I went through a season of really difficult anxiety and depression um, where I just couldn't grapple with a lot of things that I thought were so clear to me. Um, and I found that I was not as firm in my faith as I thought I was. And in part, that was because I was going into a season of transition. Um, I moved to a different country, which is different than a lot of people as they just graduate college. But I think that season really hit me. And I realized that I was not as dependent on God as I needed to be. And so for about six months, I wrestled with a lot of issues. Um, and I still wrestle with those issues today. But I had a lot of people speaking into my life. People that were just a few years older than me and people who were also... Um, well into their lives. And I want to be here and I want to just walk with you guys, just do life with you. Um, I know a lot of you are kind of stepping out of college soon and entering kind of into normal life. And I just want to be that listening ear that's able to kind of also um, walk with you guys because that's a difficult season. Um, Don't let anybody tell you it's not. Um, Also want to thank John and Josh for giving me the chance to speak. I don't speak a lot. Um, I'm certainly not as fearful as I once was. I remember I got the opportunity to give my testimony um, when I was a senior in high school at the Life Conference, which is like the Christian Missionary Alliance's youth conference they hold every three years. Um, my former pastor at my church in Chicago was the the youth director at that point, and he asked me to speak, and I, I almost pooped my pants. I was like, I don't know if I can do this. You want me to speak in front of 6,000 people? And he told me the day before, and he's like, you've got five minutes. And I'm like, uh, okay. Got up there just totally terrified. The other three people that were asked had no notes, and I was there with like big white sheets of paper. And I'm like, oh, I look like an idiot. Um, so I'm definitely better than I was once. Um, but I'm super excited that we're talking about prayer this summer. Um, prayer is, I think, something that doesn't get talked about enough on, in churches. Uh, I think especially um, amongst people that are, that are new to the faith. Um, and prayer is something that's not just an add-on to our faith. It's not just, oh, you're a Christian and you should pray. pray. Prayer is something that we should be practicing 
day in and day out. It should be a part of our um, walk with the Lord. And um, it should be something that we go to each and every moment. Um, You know, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6.13 writes, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. I think one of the best models we can use is actually the early church um, and just the power of prayer um, in the early church, even before the descent of the Holy Spirit. So in Acts 1, 12 through 14, this is right after Jesus has ascended. Uh, we, we read, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So Pentecost hadn't even come. The Holy Spirit hadn't even come to earth yet, and they were already practicing prayer corporately and individually. It was something that was seen as absolutely vital to them as a community, a community of believers. And so if the early church is practicing that, how much more so should we? These are people that walked with Christ, and we're not people that have walked with Christ in the flesh, but we have the Holy Spirit living within us, and we need to cultivate a life of prayer. Um, Henry Nouwen, he's a famous uh, Dutch psychologist and minister who passed away in the late 1990s. Um, he's got some tremendous books that you should go and read. Um, but he, he says, a spiritual life without prayer is like the gospel without Christ. And then he goes on to say, the faithful discipline of prayer reveals to you that you are the blessed one and gives you the power to bless others. So in order for you guys to fully live out your lives in Christ, including myself, we need to know Christ intimately. And the way you do that is through his word and through communion and prayer. One last quote for you from C.S. Lewis. I know everyone knows who C.S. Lewis is, the creator of Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, If you've ever heard a sermon without C.S. Lewis, it's probably not a sermon. Um, And he says in letters to Malcolm, relying on God has to begin all over again every day as if nothing had yet been done. We're broken people and we're in need of grace and we need to come back to God every morning, every day and say, God, I need you again. I need you again. I need you to show me who you are and what it means to walk with you. And that starts through prayer. So prayer is a foundational component of our faith. It's not a small topic. I'm glad we're not doing this in one uh, short message this summer. I'm glad we're doing this week in and week out because it's something that you cultivate, I think, over life. Um, But I think we can also learn about it more um, through a series of messages over the summer. Um, Also, just one little anecdote. I know some of you might be feeling that your prayer lives are not where they need to be. Um, Just want to reassure you that mine is definitely not where it should be. Um, In fact, prayer is probably the most difficult discipline for me. I I think it's partly because I'm so logical. I like to read about God. I like to learn. I like to talk about theology. But sometimes for me to like sit down, shut up, and just listen to God and commune and commune with Him is really hard. Um, and I don't know if I should be um, saying this before you guys. I don't know if John and Josh would like that. But either way, it's truth. So I'm going to speak to you. And this message to me. Um, I think it's more for me than it is for you, even. I'm, I'm preaching to myself because I really need to cultivate a stronger life of prayer. And I want us to grow in this together while this thing fell. Um, it's real short. Just pull it up. Oh, I think it's going to fall again. Okay, 
So this evening we're going to look at one aspect of prayer, um, and we're going to be looking at what it means to appeal to God according to his character. Um, And we're going to be looking at the text of Exodus 32 through 34. I wasn't thrilled that I got Exodus because preaching from the Old Testament to me is quite daunting. Um, But John's like, you can do it. I'm like, sure, I'll do it. Um, So before we dive into tonight's scripture, I just kind of want to set the stage for you. I want to paint a little picture. Um, I know that many of you probably know the story of Exodus 32, and you probably even know many of the stories within Exodus um, at large, but I I noticed two things. One is that um, I need context and illustration oftentimes for me to grapple with ideas. Um, So I think many of you are probably the same. And two, some of you may be newer to the faith. Um, I don't want to assume that everyone in this room is at the same point in their faith journey. And so I want to be sure that when I'm walking with you through a passage that you understand where this passage is located within the Bible and the, the broader story of God that this little section falls into. Um, so we're going to start earlier on in Exodus. God calls a man named Moses through a burning bush. Um, he tells him to return to Egypt to free the enslaved Israelites. Um, remember that Moses was an Israelite himself, but he was quite different. Moses um, was saved by um, the Pharaoh. He was welcomed into his home and raised as an Egyptian, even though he was an Israelite himself. The only reason he fled was because he actually killed an Egyptian man who had been an abusing an, Israel, an, uh, an Israelite slave. So he fled in fear of the Pharaoh. And he's in the wilderness, not for like a couple weeks, a few months. He's, he's gone for years, decades. Um, he probably thinks, I'm never coming back. That life's gone. I, I blew it. But God calls him back to Egypt. And he says, I want you to go and I want you to free my people. I'm sure he was terrified, but he went in obedience. And he went back to Egypt. And he went before the Pharaoh and asked for the, the freedom of the Israelites. And Pharaoh repeatedly said, no. Um, you should watch the movie Prince of Egypt if you haven't. Um, I don't know why Pharaoh in that movie has a British accent, but he does, and it makes it all the better. Um, Ramses, no. Um, and ultimately, God then um, returns the favor to Pharaoh and sends plagues upon the Egyptian people. One of the plagues at the very end, the Passover, um, every oldest son within the Egyptian households died. Angel of death was sent, and the only reason the Israelites were spared was because God prepared them. And he said, cut, um, I don't know if he cut the lamb's throat, but they killed lambs, right? And then they put the blood above the, above the door. Um, and as the angel passed by, they knew not to enter into that household. But every firstborn child died, including Pharaoh's son. And that was kind of the last straw, and Pharaoh said, okay, you've got it, Moses. You and your people, you can leave. Um, okay, unsurprisingly then, the Israelites are walking. They're on their journey. Um, I think you can go a couple slides. Next one. There we go. Um, and they are, they're walking away from Egypt. And all of a sudden they realize behind them, oh no, Pharaoh and his armies are coming. Um, and I'm sure if I was one of the millions of people that were standing there, would have been terrified. But God protects them. God saves them. God sends a fire from heaven and creates a, a barrier between them and the Egyptian army. He also parts the Red Sea. Um, So they get two miracles in one. Fantastic. And these people walk through the parting of the Red Sea, right? And then God lifts that fire and the Egyptians follow them through. 
As soon as the Israelites pass through the sea, the waters come over and the Egyptians die. Um, now you would think this would produce delirium within the Israelites, and it probably did. We do, realize, we do read about them rejoicing and singing and dancing right after this has occurred, but it's very short-lived. Um, only a couple chapters later, again, we see the Israelites complaining. Like, oh God, what's happening? Um, and they say in Exodus 16, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now God heard their cry and he sent manna from heaven each morning and quail from the skies and they were fed. And this becomes a repeated story. The Israelites like to complain. They like to rebel against God. God sends one miracle after another and what do they do? They sin again against God one time after another. Later on in Exodus, the Israelites come to the base of uh, Mount Sinai. Um, And just so you know, and sometimes I, I like to see things graphically. Mount Sinai is on the Sinai Peninsula, which is between modern-day Egypt and Israel, right? So um, they're there, and Moses is called to the top of Mount Sinai. And then in Exodus 20, we hear God give the Ten Commandments to Moses at the top of Mount Sinai, and he stands at the top of Mount Sinai with his brother Aaron. And while at the top of the mountain, he gives Moses and the Israelites various laws, Laws regarding slavery, restitution, the Sabbath, and festivals. Um, And then four chapters later, the people of Israel confirm their commitment to the covenant of God. And corporately, the people of Israel say, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. The Lord then calls Moses back up to the mountain where he enters into the presence of the Lord to confirm that covenant with God. And that brings us to where we are going to start tonight. Exodus 32. Um, I know this is a really long text, Um, Again, I was given this text, so don't blame me for three chapters. Um, But we start at that point, and Moses is on the top of this mountain meeting with the Lord. One of the few men in the Old Testament that actually meets with the Lord face to face. Um, And the rest of Israel is instructed to stay at the bottom. So I'm going to read Exodus 32. Um, Hope you can bear with me and not fall asleep. Um, But... I can't control that. When the people saw that Moses was so long and coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. And for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they had handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them 
and that I may destroy them. Then I'll make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord, his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out, to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, There is the sound of the war in the camp. Moses replied, It is not the sound of victory. It is not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf, the people who made it, and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the ground, and made the Israelites drink it. He said to Aaron, What did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, Make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, Whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold, and I threw it into the fire, and I came out and came out this calf. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so became a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Israelites rallied to him. Then he said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, You have been set apart to the Lord today, for you are against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, but now I, go, now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of this book you have written. The Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. So what happens in this chapter? Um, Moses goes up to the mountain to meet with God. And he goes up to establish the covenant of God on behalf of the people of Israel. He's up on top of the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, but while he's on top of the mountain, the people turn away from God. They ask Aaron, Moses, his brother, and the chief priest to make them an idol so that they can worship. And while they're up, up there, God tells Moses what the people of Israel have done. He makes note of their idolatry. And so God sends Moses down. With the law of God engraved on two tablets, Moses descends only to find his people singing and dancing around this golden calf. Try to picture that. People who were saved by God, God 
delivered them from Pharaoh, sent down fire from heaven. He parted the Red Sea. He sent manna. He sent quail. And yet these people still had hard hearts. And it only took them 40 days. 40 days for them to rebel against God. They said, God, we will follow you. And 40 days later, they're like, nope, Moses is gone. You know, um, what's that uh, saying? You know, when the cat is gone, you know, the mice will play. And I feel like that's what the Israelites were. Moses had left and they didn't know where he went. So they're like, oh, okay, we're going to make the rules around here. And so they make this golden calf. And so in his anger, Moses comes back down and he destroys these tablets. He takes them and he smashes them on the ground. And then he orders for the unfaithful to be killed. So 3,000 men were killed that day by the sword. He then asks God for, for God to enact justice and blot out the names of those who have sinned. But something else significant happened in this passage that we can't pass over. In verses 11 through 14, Moses cries out on behalf of the people Israel and appeals to the character of God. And this is what he says. I'm going to read it again. Lord, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountain and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them and I will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. This passage is so important, we can't just skip over it. Moses asks for God's mercy, not because of what Moses had done, but because of who God is. He reminds him of what he had done for the Israelites in the past and how he had made them his people. So despite their terrible sin, he asks God to consider his own character. He reminds God that he too established a covenant with Israel, just as Israel had an established covenant with God. They were to be his people, representatives of the Most High, to the rest of the world. And in the end, Moses' intercession on behalf of the people result in the Lord's relenting from consuming them entirely. This leads us then into Exodus 33. Um, this passage is a little shorter, so hang in with me. Um, but I'm going to read it again, and then we're going to kind of talk about the key points in here. And again, Moses in this passage appeals to God's character, so I want you to be looking for that as we read through this. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on earth to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you, because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. When the purple people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount, Mount Horeb. Now Moses used to, take a pit, uh, used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he returned. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. 
Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. So the Lord replies, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the others on this earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Again here, Moses is pleading for God's mercy, just as he did in Exodus 32. God is pleading for the mercy on behalf of the people of Israel. And so he goes out to this tent outside the camp. And this is really important because when when, uh, Moses is up on the mountain, he establishes a covenant with God. And a part of that covenant was to put a tabernacle right in the middle of the camp, which signified that God was going to live there and live amongst his people. But here in Exodus 33, Moses does the opposite. What does he do? He leaves the camp and goes out and sets a tent up outside, outside of the presence of his people. And I think that signifies God's presence in their life had, um, had, had not been there. And um, Moses goes and he asks for the Lord to return, to once again be their God. Moses also asks not to be sent to the promised land if the Lord is not to go with them. Moses knows in humility that they will not survive without God himself protecting them. Um, And so he appeals to God and reminds the Lord that the nation of Israel is the nation of his people. And then in 3319, the Lord's words appear to to be a response to Moses' request and the Lord would show him his ways and his glory. The description points forward to the event of the Lord's self-declaration that is to come. I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. I will be gracious and I will show mercy. And this is actually echoed later in the New Testament in the book of Romans where Paul says, what then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It is not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Okay, bear with me. One more chapter to go. Read Exodus 34. Um, and this kind of wraps up this, this storyline. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. 
So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded. And he carried the two, the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. Lord, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey that I command you to uh, obey what I command you today. I will drive out before you the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you are going, or they will be a snare among you. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut down their Asherah poles. Do not worship any other god, for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land, for when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. Do not make any idols. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. For seven days eat, made, eat bread made without yeast as I commanded you. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Aviv, for in that month you came out of Egypt. The first offspring of every womb belongs to me, including all the firstborn males of your livestock. Whether from herd or flock, redeem the firstborn donkey with a lamb, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem all your firstborn sons. No one is to appear before me empty-handed. Six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even during the plowing season and harvest, you must rest. Celebrate the festival of weeks with the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the festival of ingathering at the turn of the year. Three times a year, all your men are to appear before the sovereign Lord, the God of Israel. I will drive out nations before you and enlarge your territory, and no one will cover your land when you go up three times each year to appear before the Lord your God. Do not offer the blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast, and do not let any of the sacrifice from the Passover festival remain until morning. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soul to the house of the Lord your God. Do not cook a young goat in, the mo in its mother's milk. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write down these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. Moses was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights without eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. When Moses came down the mountain, when came down the mount, mountain, Mount Sinai, with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out, 
and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. So what do you see throughout chapter 34? I know there's a lot in there, some of that which doesn't apply to what we're talking about tonight, but I think it was really important to walk through. Exodus 34 seems to insinuate that the Lord's proclamation of his name and the declaration of his character are central to who he is as God. Um, The Lord graciously preserves Israel as a whole for the sake of God's overall purpose, sparing those who look to him in true faith. And so the Lord is merciful and gracious. And guess what? This is not the last time that Moses has to go before God and plead on their behalf. They do it over and over again. They continue to do it. Even though they establish this covenant with God, God is far more faithful with them than they are to him. Because the Israelites are a stiff-necked people, but God is never changing. Okay, so what does that all mean for us? What's the grand scheme of things here that we're looking at? How should we be like Moses and learn to pray to God, appealing to the Lord's character through our cries and requests? The first thing is that we are to appeal to God's character because it reminds us of our brokenness. As it says in the Psalms, in Psalm 53, God looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand and who seek God. But everyone has turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. I think that Moses was chiefly aware that he was a sinner himself. He was chiefly aware that he was a murderer. He killed a man earlier on in his life. That was not something that he could take back. Something that God could forgive, but it wasn't something that he could undo. And I think that's ultimately why Moses was more faithful to God than others in his people. Because he, he recognized the sin inside of him. He recognized that he needed God. He recognized that he didn't want to go to the promised land without God going before them. And so praying according to God's character helps us to remind us that we are not gracious, we are not merciful, God is, and so we need him and we need his grace in our lives. And prayer helps us do that. Prayer helps us focus in on that. Second, um, I think prayer helps us and reminds us of what the Lord has done. Um, According to the Bible, we do live in the end times, which means that we are people who are living in the age after Christ's fulfillment of the prophecy of the Old Testament, which said that God would come to this earth as the Messiah and would redeem his people. So unlike the Israelites, it is not just um, Moses who can go before God, but we can as well. We are able to meet with Jesus Christ, our Lord, one-on-one. We have access. Before that, Moses was the only one that was allowed to go to Mount Sinai. Everyone else had to stay down below at the bottom, at the base of the mountain. But we have that access. It says in Hebrews um, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It's coming before God in prayer, appealing to his character and saying, God, you are merciful, you are gracious. We remind ourselves of what God did, what Jesus Christ did. We're not just saying those things so that God can return the favor and give us something in return. No, we're asking God to remind us of who he is, remind us that we are in need of him. Three, um, praying 
according to God's character. Appealing to his character helps us fasten our hearts to God. Um, like I said, I think Moses was probably the most faithful of the Israelites, especially within this story. He was so insistent that he told God he didn't want to go to the promised land without him. And we too need God. Um, and I think that's part of the Lord's prayer. I think the Lord's prayer is in part helping us to remind us that we need God. We need to fasten our hearts to him. So we are to put on the character of our Lord Jesus Christ, forgiving those who sin against us. Right? Matthew 6.13 says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Right? Christ's heart is to save, to seek the lost. Right? So he came to this earth, he died, he rose again, and he ascended to heaven, which means that he forgave our sins. So he's asking us to do the same. So when we pray, God, show us mercy. Lord, show us grace. We're also asking, Lord, help us to show that same mercy to others who need it. Just two more and then we'll wrap up. Um, I think praying according to God's character also helps us to put our faith into action. Um, do we actually believe who God says he is? Do you actually believe that God is merciful and gracious? Do you actually believe that? I think if you do, you're more inclined to say, God, because of your mercy, because of your grace, I need you. And if he is loving, um, we will believe that God will lovingly respond to our prayers as well, right? Why are we going to say, God, in your love, I pray that you would respond, that you would hear my cry, if we don't believe he's loving? Appealing to God's character helps us to put action, put our faith into action, put our words, um, put words to what we're feeling. Matthew 7, 11 through 12, it says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Right? If we can appeal to God, the God who actually does what he says he will, then I think we're actually putting faith into action. We're allowing God to show up. We're allowing him to reveal himself according to who he says he is. Lastly, um, God's character allows us to live for his glory. And I think that's ultimately why God spared the Israelites. Because what did Moses say? He said, God, if you kill these people now, the Egyptians who held us in bondage will think that you only saved them to bring them out to the desert to kill them. That is not your intent, Lord. Your intent was for these people to be your people, to be your nation, be the nation of Israel. So I pray that you would spare them. And I think what was most important was that Moses was concerned with how God was going to be perceived to those, not just in Israel, but to those outside of Israel. They were to be his people. They were to be his representatives in this world. Um, and I think that's the most important thing. When we pray to God's character, we, we are a we are focusing on God and glorifying him. We're saying, Lord, I am nothing and you are everything. It says in the, in the scriptures in Ephesians, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. 
Are we going to be like Moses? Are we going to go up to the mountaintop and say, God, we're seeking your glory. We're seeking you to walk with us. Are we going to do that? That's why Moses appealed to God and to his character. Because he knew that God was gracious and merciful. He was concerned about God's glory while his people were not. His people couldn't even go 40 days without making a golden calf. A calf they made, a calf that can't even go moo. Might as well make a living calf your God. At least it can make a sound. Instead, they made a golden calf that makes no sound. It's, it's crazy. We see that even today. Our main objective as Christians, and we appeal to God's character, is to glorify him. Um, yeah. So I pray that this would be encouraging to you guys. I pray that we would spend some time this evening kind of coming together and praying. Um, I think we're going to do that right after this. Um, and I just encourage you to spend some time um, appealing to God and to his character, saying, God, you are merciful, you are gracious, you are loving. And so we come before you and we ask for these things because we know that this is who you are. We know that you desire to live with us and commune with us, and we desire to do the same. Just bow your heads in prayer with me, and then we can gather together as groups. Father, we just come before you, and we say thank you for tonight. We say thank you for the brothers and sisters in this room who are called to live for you, to glorify you, Father. I pray that you would cultivate lives of prayer. I pray that we would not just come to you in moments of crisis like Moses did, but that, God, we would come before you when things are going well, and we can say, God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for sending your son Jesus so that we could have a relationship with you. Father, I pray that we would establish lives of prayer that are rooted in who you are, and not just what we want, but who you are. Father, we give this to you in your mighty name. Trail Magic is a production of the College Ministry of Alliance Bible Fellowship in Boone, North Carolina. For more information, go to abfboone.org. Thanks for tuning in.